If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. On Horse Chat today, our guest is Rebecca Ashton. Rebecca, how are you today? I'm great, thanks. Good to be back. Yeah, good to talk to you again too. Yeah. Now, Rebecca, these 10 tips on rider performance, that's what you're going to talk about today. Why did you choose that topic? What have you got that makes you a little bit different? What's your background that makes you a bit different with your 10 tips on riders' performance? Okay, so, I mean, I ride every day myself, so, you know, usually about one to three horses a day, but I also, um, I'm a Pilates instructor, and I found, I started doing Pilates myself probably, gosh, it's scary to say, probably about 20 years ago <laughs> or close to, to help my riding, and I really found it really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until probably 10 years ago that I started actually teaching it, though, so I just find... Um, Getting that extra body awareness and everything off the horse really is a lovely, um, uh, not supplement, but, you know, goes well with the riding. And it yeah, really like a compliment helpful. to the riding. So yeah. Your compliment is the word, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I just think it's helped a lot of people that I've been working with it and um, it's really helped their riding. So, yeah, it's got to be something in it. Good, good. And for those who'd like to hear a little bit more about Rebecca and how she came into the Pilates and also as a journalist as well, just go back to episode 166 and you can hear all about that. Okay, so Rebecca, the first tip we've got for the 10 tips on rider performance is number one, work on yourself. Would you be able to speak to us about that, please? Yeah, so um, nothing, I always say nothing's going to replace riding to be a good rider. Like you have to ride. And Mm -hmm. I I think, you know, um, sometimes there's the thought that doing other exercise is a replacement for, but it is a supplement too. So um, I've never met a rider though who couldn't be better or have a better functioning body or often even a better functioning brain for that matter. And, um, you know, like if gym work and yoga is good enough for Charlotte Dujardin, it's probably good enough for you as well. And you hear a lot of uh, excuses, perhaps, like I'm too busy, I ride enough horses, and I've heard all of them. And I know it can be really difficult to fit in, you know, what with work and family and everything like that. Sometimes it's hard enough just to get your horse ridden. But I really believe that if you're going to get on top of a living creature, you have to put an effort into yourself because you don't want to be the weakest link. And it's, you know, for everyone, whether you're a novice rider or a top competitor, everyone has alignment issues that can be addressed off the horse. And you might be riding one horse a day or you might be riding 10 and your needs will be different. The one horse a day rider might need to activate and work, you know, otherwise atrophied muscles, whereas the rider of a lot of horses might need to rebalance their body and take the strain off areas they're constantly working and get everything back in alignment that way but you you know you have to do as much work you know people are really focused on just training their horse that you're part of the team and you have to make the effort as well yeah yeah and I like the way you brought in the weakest link you know horses can do a lot naturally you don't want to be that weakest link yeah yeah you don't want the horse to be doing something in spite of you 
you know. That's right. <laughs> you know, that's some, right. Some horses do things in spite of the rider, not because yeah. of. Yes, you and they've be got big them, hearts and hindering. they just keep trying, don't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. All right. Exactly. So the next one is number two, know what you need. Yeah, and that kind of leads on a little bit because um, it's knowing yourself and knowing what's going to be most helpful to you. To, to improve yourself as a rider. So it might be physical movement to address your body organisation and control. Um, you might have a lot of injuries, you know, that you need to, to manage or you might be older and starting to get some arthritis or other aches and pains. We all know about that as we get on a bit. Um, or you might just like natural body awareness as well. Or you might need to work from a mental um, perspective, like using a sports psychologist to overcome fear so you can go on a trail ride or to better focus on your test riding or be safe across country. And I'd add you can do an awful lot um, with that mental work using exercise techniques and approach. And I discovered that um, when I was in the Netherlands working with Adelinda Cornelis' team, and I, I can't remember whether I explained it in the last podcast or not. You, you talked a little bit about it, but it'd be good to talk again about it. And then if people want to know more, they can um, go back and listen to that previous episode on 166. Yeah, so there was a couple of, like, the main trainer was Jarling, and he would really push, push, push you. And basically, he was really trying to get you to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, that was like good cop, bad cop. And then the good cop, John, would come in. He was like the sports psychologist. And he would come in and talk you through the situation and get you to focus and make you really aware with how you were approaching it and whether you were doing the same thing or focusing on a better solution. And that way, it really became body and mind connected. Yes. And that, that can be really helpful for the brain as well as the body. And, you know, you've got people like Laura Graves, the American dressage rider, and she doesn't do any exercise, but she does have um, a sports uh, a physio come in and she explains it as waking up her muscles that have gone to sleep. So she gets rebalancing in that way. You know, it can be even learning how to meditate to calm your mind down if you're like really a high-strung person and to learn to focus better and to stay balanced during, you know, stressful situations or competitions and things like that, or to give you time to contemplate and come up with solutions. So you might have to work that way. So, um, or it could, you know, it could be even energy healing work to rebalance and deal with your emotions or subconscious issues. So there's so many tools out there and approaches to help you perform better and and for you to work with something that resonates with you. So know what's going to work for you to make you better. Yes, yes. Now, just thinking, the number three tip you've got is the training starts when you're out of your comfort zone. And I'm a bit interested Mm. to talk to you about this because you're talking about the physical, but is this out of your comfort zone like a psychology point of view or a physical point of view? What is it that we're talking about out of our comfort zone here? Well, it's kind of a bit of both, but mm-hmm. it's using, again, probably using the exercise to to get to the brain a little bit as well. Okay. And I got that idea, again, from Adelinda, but there's two quotes that I really love, and I think I mentioned one of them on the last, last one was, um, if you do what you did, you get what you got. And the other one I love is you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable, and that could be, you know, even competing at an event that you think is really big and scary or, you know, anything to do with horse or getting on a horse that you think is a little bit difficult or scary. If you want to improve and get better, you have to get a little bit uncomfortable and be okay with that. 
So the point being with that, I guess, is you've got to be solution-based. And one thing humans are built for is, um, I think, to, is to learn. So okay. you, you can never stop learning. Yeah. So you, don't be scared to make a mistake. Just keep keep going with that. And I was listening to, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, actually. I love them. But um, <laughs> there's a guy who's totally unrelated to horses, but he has some really great little tidbits of, you know, things to get you thinking. And it's a guy called Rob Bell. He's in America. But I was listening to one and he said, um, and this is not a direct quote, but it was basically, the secret is in the next step. So he was saying the soul doesn't care about guarantees. It wants to participate. So keep taking a step forward and make it whatever version you can of the thing you want to create. So then you keep going, you keep getting better, you keep learning, and then you keep refining. So your next step may not be your best. It might be really messy. It might be a disaster. Okay. But take the next step anyway. And and I really love the whole idea. And so linking that to exercise, exercise can be the first step to get you out of your comfort zone in a safe environment. So you might it might be enough just to stand on a football and feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to break my neck. Mm. But you're pretty safe in that environment and building up to that so that your body and your brain are a little bit familiar with that feeling. When you go then to get on a horse and those feelings start coming to you, you're like, okay, now I can cope with this. I can do this. Yep. So um, it can also help just to going a little bit uncomfortable in a safe environment can push those uncomfortable kind of like goalposts a bit further out. So it expands your horizons a little bit. Okay. But I guess that's what I'm talking about is getting out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And being yeah, comfortable yeah. with that. Yeah, I think that that's good. That's certainly something to think about. And I think, you know, would you get a bit comfortable? It sort of takes someone to come along <laughs> like you to say, hey, you know, like you're comfortable here, just do a little bit more. And it's the people who do succeed at a high level, if you talk to them about getting out of their comfort zone, it's very often yeah, that they get yeah. out of their comfort and seem to thrive on it. Yeah, but it's such a great feeling when you've done that and you've come out the other side and you mm. think, oh, wow, look at me. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Now, we talked about the misconception of the core in riding. You know, we often want to strengthen yeah. our core and we you talked about a few different complementary exercises, but can you speak a little bit more about this misconception of core? Yeah, I think I think it needs to be said. I think it's a, a good thing to be aware of. And um, I might get into a bit of detail here, but if you can stick with me, sure. I think it's quite interesting because You've probably, you know, there's a lot of instructors who are always saying engage your core, engage your core, and there's a lot of articles out there, you know, strengthen your core for riding and all that. And it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of good points coming from that, and it's all coming from a good place. But I think it becomes with a lot of riders this generic stiffening of the torso, and then you start restricting the diaphragm and everything, and you've got this image of people just pulling their tummies into the point of like holding their breath. <laughs> And it's a little bit more to it than that. So I just thought I'd go into a bit more detail to help people maybe think about it a little differently or a little more, you know, broadly. Yep. So um, you need to understand that intra-abdominal pressure, like in the rider, so, you know, you talk about the core and it is like the, in the torso of the rider and quite low in, in the rider's body and everything. But um You've got to think of the the pressure, the intra-abdominal pressure is relative to the anticipated load and the activity you're about to undertake. So again, it comes into the brain and body connection, I guess. Mm -hmm. yep. um, 
And I think a lot of people imagine you need like abs of steel to ride, but it's really a lot more dynamics and complex or or wonderful than that, actually. (laughs) So, of course, you can't be like flaccid and just sitting there really like a bag of potatoes. You know, the torso needs to have tone in it. But as a result of, you know, core engagement, I think there's too much stiffness or People use their posture incorrectly and they go to less optimal places in their body or they can even cause injury in a, in a, you know, sometimes. So I think that's where it's important to train for your activities, so your sport or even, you know, as specific as your discipline. So you can't just be a good rider by doing Pilates and I say that as someone who loves Pilates and <laughs> thinks everyone should be doing it. <laughs> so you have to do your sport. However, Pilates. Um, and I'm using Pilates because it's what I know and it's what I've always used. Um, it's going to help you organize your body for a more efficient use when you ride. So the more supple, better organized the body is, it's you know it can take on better what the dressage coach or the jumping coach is asking of it sort of thing or, or indeed what the horse requires from you. So one way um, it can, like I said before, it can decrease injuries in both horse and riders. And it just gives the rider better movement options. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Like yes. They can, yes. And I and I always kind of people who don't know their body so well. I always use the little um, analogy of you know learn, when you're speaking, you learn ABC before you learn Shakespeare. But you also don't just stay with ABC or cat in the hat books. You mm-hmm. progress and you and you learn, and your vocabulary becomes greater. And I think it's the same with the body to a point. So the awareness and balancing work off the horse helps organising the ribs in relation to the pelvis, in relation to the legs, and at the end of the day, in relation to the horse. And then it allows that to happen quicker or ultimately spontaneously. So that's really important for life and very important when you're on top of a flight animal. And even more so when you're in a competition or on a cross-country course, you want that thought and that reaction in the body to be, you know, immediate spontaneous and very coordinated and efficient so um that's i I know i'm just touching on it and maybe it's a bit complex but it's it's a little bit more to it than just like holding your stomach in yeah yeah (laughs) but i can go into it that kind of leads me on to my next point as well but um is that the next point number five more often less is more yeah (laughs) okay so I kind of, I, I often say to riders when I'm teaching them, think that you're riding like with your bones, like your your bones are stacked and quite strong, but your skin is relaxed. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gets them more stabilized from deep within and relaxes the outer muscles a bit. So what you really want instead of, you know, yelling out, engage your core, engage your core, you know, whatever that means, you want this correct intra-abdominal pressure for the perceived activity. Now, that can depend on your discipline. It can depend on your horse. It can depend on the fence that's just caught you out cross country or the incorrect stride in your show jumping. It's quite dynamic. And the changes happen too quickly for conscious adjustment, especially in high-level sport or if you're in a a precarious situation. Yes, yes. So that's why you want to be training your body off the horse. So it becomes more at home with quick movements and different movements. And it's also where I found the ooze. I 
did I speak about the oof in the last podcast? I can't remember. I think you need to talk about it now and um, if people do need to listen and go back. And we'll also give your contact details at the end too because I think there's lots of areas that you can expand on. Yeah, yeah. I think if we sort of got these main 10 points now and then maybe come back another time and expand a bit more, but talk about the oof now and uh, now that you've introduced it again. so Okay. Yeah, so the OOV is this um, piece of equipment I discovered, oh, probably nearly two years ago. And it's it's a str- it's very hard to – you're better off – honestly, you're better off just Googling it because it's really kind of too hard to explain. Okay. Would you like to spell but it? it's a very OOV. Okay, good. So it's – and I'm really – I'm anti-gimmick. So, you know, people are always bringing out new bits of equipment. You're just like, oh, here's another one trying to make money. And to be honest, when I – a friend of mine introduced me to the oof and I kind of had the same thought. So oh, here we go again. Mm. But when I start, now that I've started using it and learning about it more and, oh, it, I just couldn't work without it really. So it's, how do I explain it? It, cha- it tests your stability and balance. So you lie on it, you can stand on it, and it's quite a dynamic tool. Um, and it's like nothing I've ever used before, you know, People say, oh, well, you could do that with a foam roller, but you really couldn't. It's a very, very different and it's got mobility in, you know, all directions and it allows a lot more freedom of the shoulder and the hip and all these things. So because it's quite movable, you really have to get your balance from it. And I'm not on their payroll or anything. I just <laughs> You just like it. Good. I just keep raving on it. I love it. I absolutely love it. Because it teaches the body what to do. I mean, the body already knows what to do, but you know, often negative thoughts come in the way or fears or injuries and all that override it. So it kind of rebalances and re-educates the body and it informs the body. And it does it without us, you know, as an instructor, you don't have to talk about muscle contractions and give instructions um, that we only perceive are going on in the body because really at the end of the day, there's so many systems that work in the body. You can't really know for sure. So this instructs the body and the bo- it's like the body and the ooze talk together. <laughs> And you get the stability um, from mobility. So stability is the control of mobility. And this is really important concept to get. So you're all, there's always mobility and stability, especially when you're on a moving animal. And I always say in lessons, if you want to be still relative to something moving, you have to move. So there has to be movement in your body when you're on a horse. And I think people, especially in the canter, they get really, I've got to be still. And then their shoulders start rocking because the movement has to go somewhere in their body. And it's not being absorbed through the torso and a soft back and everything. Mm -hmm. So it's controlled movement. So the Urban Pilates guides the movement. And I feel like dressage should do the same for the horse as well. So I always think dressage is like Pilates for horses or Pilates is dressage for riders. (laughs) So you shouldn't really overstrict your horse but you should be guiding his movement and help him find new ways to move his body or more refined ways of moving his body. And you could also, you know, say the same about mental training of the horse. You know, you're training them mentally as well as physical, mm-hmm. physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, All I right. go on a bit, don't I? So no, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I don't think you did talk about it last time. I don't think, certainly not to I the didn't? degree okay. that you've talked about it now. But I think yeah. it's, it's interesting and, um, you know, I'm sure someone could Google it and have, have a look. Um, yeah, yeah. Google and take a look because yeah, it's a really interesting yeah. thing. All right. Now, the next one you've got, tip number six, is hip function is overlooked. Yeah, this is a bit more specific, but mm-hmm. um, I think it's worth, again, a bit like the core, you know, what the core is and everything. Yep. It's worth just, um, you know, thinking about, I guess. 
And it, again, it really comes down to the organization of the body. So people talk a lot about stirrup length, and that is really important because, you know, if your stirrups are too short, they're going to block your hip movement. And if they're too long, you're going to become unstable and also your hips and joints are going to be locked out the other way. So it is a really important um, thing to look at. But no one talks so much about if the hips are functioning well. Yep. And this kind of also ties back in the idea of the spine relative to the pelvis and everything being linked up. Like I mentioned before, it's all one holistic package. But sometimes I think it could be more helpful to look at bodies, whether it's also wider, a little bit more rather than just the equipment we use, like the saddles and the bridles. So, And I think that's overlooked a little bit. Um, and there's so many aspects that can affect the hips. So the muscles that are too weak or too strong for what we need or even muscle functions, so they don't work well as a whole. But there are also mental aspects as well. So if you think about the survival reaction in the body, it's going to be fight or flight or curl up in a fetal position. So either way, that requires your hip flexors to shorten up and or your, your psoas muscle to be restricted. So... Um, and you're going to be in this hunched position. So especially when, and that's fine if you're jumping or you've got to get up off the horse out of the saddle to go over a jump. But in dressage, when you need to, the horse to accept your seat and everything, you really need to, to ride from your seat. It becomes a bit of a problem if your hips are locked up and shortened up. So okay. you really need to get good movement through there. And it can be physical, it can be mental. So, you know, after you've sorted that out, then you can be guided to the um, correct stirrup length. But it also comes back again to the earlier point of getting out of your comfort zone. Yes. You know? So it's all connected. Okay, good, <laughs> good. I was going to say are they in any particular order, but I think, you know, if something's all connected, you keep going back through. So even if you get up to point number 10, you can go back and say, well, what else am I missing? And get a little bit more knowledge, a bit yeah. more depth of knowledge and, and go through it again. Yeah, it's that old cliche of peeling the layers off the onion sort of thing. Yeah, you know, you get yeah. deeper and you think, oh, that's how something should feel, and then you do a bit more. Oh no, <laughs> hang on, that's how it should yes, feel. Yes, so it's yes, yes. <laughs> big long journey. <laughs> if you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Number seven, you've got breathe. I think that's a really good one for anyone who rides. So if you'd like to speak about that, that would be good. And I think it's totally underestimated, like the power of the breath and correct breathing. And I know people kind of sigh and roll their eyes. It's probably good that they sigh because it means they've taken a breath. (laughs) (laughs) They just know, oh, breathing. But so many people out there aren't breathing properly. And, I mean, I could go on for a whole day's worth about breathing, which I shan't. (laughs) I shan't do that today. But... um, it affects every single system in your body. So it affects your blood supply. And think about how that's going to affect your brain function and your muscle function. And it's also prime part of providing the efficient intra-abdominal pressure mentioned earlier because the diaphragm, here we go back to the diaphragm, here we go, all connected yep. again. The diaphragm is part of the core. And if that's not functioning properly, your core is not functioning properly. So it's all connected. And the number of times I've seen people, like especially on the Reform, like I get them on the reformer in the Pilates studio and it's like, okay, move the reformer and breathe and then nothing happens. Their shoulders mm-hmm. might move a bit, but nothing happens. Yes. And you say to them, are you breathing? They go, yes. And it's like, okay, we need to do a little bit of work. And the number of people who can't breathe deeply, properly, it's 
amazing. It's amazing. Mm. So it's a really important one to really change everything, really. But, yes, breathe. Please breathe. Please learn how to breathe properly. Yes, and if it's not practiced, it is difficult. It's got to be practiced. It has to be practiced. And a good way of doing that, if you get a TheraBand, you know, the um, the elastic bands yes. that you exercise with, and you wrap it around the lower part of your ribs and cross it over and breathe in and out of that and and see it expanding. And it's not just – so the shoulders shouldn't really move. It should be much lower. And you want the ribs and everything to expand sideways and backwards. There's a back and a side to the lungs, not just the front. So – and that, that band around there will bring a bit of awareness to that area of your body. And do it in front of a mirror. It's really interesting little exercise. All right. Now, I think that is a good one, a good one to go away with. So um, hopefully people are breathing just while they're listening but anyway, yes. and, and taking, you know, those the big deep breaths. Exactly. The next one, you've got point number eight, and we've sort of gone now to a little bit of a different area, but you're saying right at shows like you do it at home. Yeah, so the next few points are more, you know, I've interviewed quite a few of the, you know, top riders and trainers now, which has been a real honour. And just there's a few points that come up time and time again that they all seem to mention and talk about. So this is one of them. Um, when you go to shows, you know, it's obviously you want to do your best. And to achieve that, you know, a lot of people either override or they freeze. So sometimes our brain freezes on us, which causes our muscles to freeze. And, yes, you can go back to the earlier point. <laughs> but you almost have to put yourself in a bubble and remember how to ride, you know, how you ride every day to get the results. And I think Charlotte Dujardin said, you know, it's the same 60 by 20, so why should anything change? And so you should have a good routine that's a habit. So if you need to alter parts of it, you still have the bones of that routine of that work and you won't be sideswiped by any little, oh, geez, something's not right, you know. You've got this nice base to work from. And it connects back to, again, training out of your comfort zone. So all these points are connected. But keep going until it's boring. You know, keep riding and riding and doing the correct work until it's boring to, you know, get a judge in or ride your test at home or video yourself once a week riding tests, do protocol days, do what it takes to get your brain the most efficient and effective state so that you can ride at shows like you do at home. Yeah. And that's really been a big one. Don't try too hard, you know. Yes. So even if you've got the inconsistency of what's going on around the arena, for the horse's point of view, mm. the consistency is you've got that 20 by 60 arena. That's what we're riding in and they know how to do yep. that work. Yep. Yeah, and you know how to do that work. <laughs> mm, yes, yes, yeah. All right. Now, this is an interesting one, number nine, the difference between respecting your horse and loving your horse. Yeah, and I know it's a bit controversial, this one. I just think, you know, whether you agree with it or not, it's really something worth, you know, thinking about a little mm. bit. And I've heard... I've heard it from a lot of writers, maybe not in those words, but the person who just said it straight out like that was Albert Thorne, the Dutch show jumper. You know, you see a lot of top riders where every single horse they get on, the horse is happy to work for them. And they're usually not the lovey-dovey riders. They're just, yeah, they, and there's a real respect there for their horses, but they never have their horses as like pets. But, um, you know, and I, I guess um, – I was a bit shocked too the first time I heard that because I'm the first one to, you know, talk to a horse like it's a baby and give it carrots and everything. <laughs> but it kind of makes sense. Even, you know, if, 
if you don't agree with it, it's worth considering, like I said. But love means you'll leave your horse in a paddock, which you might do and you might believe in that because if you really love your horse, you're not going to even ride it probably. But for those of us who like to compete and we have to be honest with ourselves, putting a saddle and bridle on our horses, is that really love? We could possibly argue that, you know, for hours. But what you can do and what is possibly more important is to respect it. So in the work you are making that horse do, to have respect for it and to listen to your horse as well. So I just think that was a really interesting point to take on board. Mm. You can still give it carrots. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. It's an interesting debate, isn't it? When you talk about love and yeah. respect and can you have the two together, you know, and then what's the definition mm. of love? What's the definition of respect? And then, you know, you start to bring in some um, equitation science into it and talk about yeah. the type of animal, you know, do we do we sort of treat our animals like people? I think it's it's a big wide area. Yeah. But it's one to think about and it's one to, even if you don't have all the exact answers, it's worth thinking about. It's worth opening your mind and and maybe we'll never have all the right answers, but it's certainly worth thinking about, you know, everything you do with the horse, why are you doing it and what's going to be the result of the training and everything you do with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think the other thing is, you know, you know, for those who find it hard to love a horse, but you can't, everyone can respect even if you're not quite capable of loving, you can respect. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's really important. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Now, the last one is one that you hear again and again, but I'm glad that you've got it in this. You've got, <laughs> um, you've not just said basics, 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 but you've actually said it four times. Basics, 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 basics. There are no shortcuts. <laughs> and I've heard that, you know, I mean, I've always known it myself, yeah. but, but I've heard it. No, I shouldn't say I've always yeah. known it because when I first started competing, I, I didn't. I didn't understand why I can't start my horse now and take it to and you know advance three day the next year or the next week. Mm. But going back yeah. to the basics all the time. So if you'd like to talk about that a bit more, that'd be good. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, a lot of horses you can get a really good young horse and it can go really well at the low levels because it has natural talent, but. You need good, correct riding to go up the level successfully and even better riding to take an average horse and turn it into something special. And I can't think of anyone better to look, you know, look at who does that all the time is Isabel Vier. You know, she has horses that aren't really the template dressage horse, but, you know, wow, what she can do with them is quite amazing. They, and she's one of those riders that the horse wants to work for her. That's really special. And, you know, that just comes from this progression through the training scale through the exercise progression and it's there for a reason and it's been time tested and you have there's no way you can get up the scale without it and I think people need to understand why they're doing a specific exercise you know you don't just do shouldering so that you can do shouldering in the test you know there's a reason that you do that and you know far be it for me to tell you how to be Isabel there <laughs> can't yes. tell you how to do that yeah. but um Talking to the best rider, it becomes really clear that it takes time, hard work, and it takes failures. You know, what's that? I don't know who said, you know, talent will get you the 10% and the, the hard work will get you 90% or something like that. But, yeah. you know, you don't be scared to make the mistakes and you're better off to try it and have it not work than not try. And that's on a macro or micro level. So take the trip to Europe or try the particular exercise with your horse, um, you know, even if it doesn't work out, just go back to the drawing board and try to understand why you're doing the work you're doing mm, and what mm. it's trying to achieve. Because, you know, if you, if you, you know, some people just want to, they want a lesson the week before a test and say, oh, it's got, um, 
I don't know, it's got Lake Yield in the test. I need to know how to do it. Well, <laughs> yes. I don't know, maybe contact me more than the week before. <laughs> mm-hmm. But know why. You know, don't just say, oh, the test has got it in and I'll just better learn how to do it. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. It, it's really good to understand the whole the whole art, the whole sport. So yeah, yeah. You have to get on your horse every day, every week, every month, and you have to do the work and understand it. <laughs> yes, yes. And I like the way that you said that it takes failures to learn. You know, it takes failures to be successful. Mm. You can't just go out there and have win, 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 win and never, ever come unstuck, never, ever get things wrong. You know, mm. you're pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. Sometimes it does come a bit unstuck, but you still, if you can learn from yeah. your failures, that's good. And know that everyone has a I think people are really scared to go to competitions and things. Oh, what if it's a disaster and people see me mm. having a disaster? Everyone, yeah. everyone's been there. Yep. You yep. know, everyone goes there. We're yep. dealing with horses yeah, and sure. humans. Sure. <laughs> There's got to be fun disasters. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. But be prepared to learn and be open minded. Okay. And Rebecca, what we'll do, we'll just sum this up again. We'll just run through these 10 tips on rider performance again. And maybe if you speak to the, you know, the most important tip and just in a sentence or so, yeah, we'll run through them again. So, number okay. one is work on yourself. Yeah, it's not enough to train your horse. You have to train yourself. Good. And do some work on yourself. Yeah. I think that's... Number two is know what you need. Yeah, so knowing that you have to train on yourself, know specifically what it is that you need. And if you're not sure, start with something, anything. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes, even if it's going to not be good, you still start. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, okay. we're getting out of our comfort zone. <laughs> well, that's number three. The training starts when you're out of your comfort zone. No, yeah, it's the same thing. Try something, whether it's on or off the horse. You know, try to do some sort of exercise that you're a bit scared to go to the class mm-hmm. or go to the competition down the road that you're not sure about. Yeah. Go, have it be a disaster, but go and do it because it probably won't be a disaster. Yeah. It'll probably turn out quite well. Yes. Number four, the misconception of the core in riding. Okay. So it's not just pull your stomach in and not breathe. It's very dynamic and it's a little bit complex and you should learn a little bit more about it. Yes. <laughs> and understand yes. that balance and mobility comes into stability. I think that's really important. Okay. And when we talk about learn more about it, we'll give you contact details in a minute. Yes. <laughs> Number five is more often, less is more. Yeah. So don't go out of bullet a gate. Especially with the core and especially with your work on balance, it's more subtle and there's more feeling to it than that. And it's the same with writing. So just be a bit more thoughtful about it. All right. And the number six now, hip function is overlooked. Yeah, good. Put your stirrups where you need them. That's great. But also check how your hips are functioning. Go through some ranges of movement to test to what that is. Ride without stirrups to see if that's easy or hard for you. Yep. You can do it on or off the horse as well. <laughs> okay. All right. Number seven is breathe. Just learn how to breathe properly. Okay. All right. Number eight, ride at shows like you do at home. Yeah, don't. Um, again, it's, it almost connects back to less is more. Just do the work at home. Make the show enjoyable, mm-hmm. you know. All right, number nine is the difference between respecting your horse and loving your horse. If you want to ride your horse instead of just leaving it in a paddock, be thoughtful and, and kind to it. Okay. And respect it. Yep. You know? Yep. 
All right, number 10 is basics, 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 basics. There are no shortcuts. Yeah, keep going back to the basics. Keep mm-hmm. Learn what they are, keep going back to them, keep going back to your exercises, keep going back to transitions, all those things that test the horse out at the lowest level because that's really all the high levels are. It's just more refined and at a higher level. <laughs> all right then. Okay, Rebecca, lots of wonderful information. People can um, get those 10 tips. We've gone back through them again. They can go and find them on horsechats.com slash Rebecca Ashton too, or just go to horsechats.com, search for Rebecca or search for Ashton and they'll find those. But what about your contact details? What if they'd like to contact you direct? How's the best way there? Um, so either email at info at equestelite.com, that's one word, equestelite, yep. um, or I'm on Facebook just under my name, um, mm-hmm. or I've got Rebecca Ashton Equestelite on Facebook and you can private message me there, or Instagram. Yep, Same no way, worries. Really. <laughs> <I'm everywhere. laughs> and those contact details will be on your page at horsechats.com, search for Rebecca, search right. for Ashton. Yep. Thanks, Rebecca, for coming and talking to us again. And we look forward to some more of your great information again soon. Thank you so much. It's been great. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 